Hey there, and welcome back into the pickle jar. This is Jill, your host, and I'm so excited to bring you this much needed episode because we have our friend Candace back with us here in the pickle jar again today. And now the episode that we're going to be talking about today, we're going to talk about and acknowledging um, the reality of the grief process that goes um, with being diagnosed with a chronic illness. And that is something often when you're diagnosed with a chronic illness, they don't seem to mention that. Um, the mental health side and everything that you are likely going to experience isn't acknowledged. And we're going to do that here today in the pickle jar. But before we get to Candace, I want to remind everyone listening, um, if you're interested in being a guest on the pickle jar podcast, please go to my website. I'll put some um, links in the show notes for you. We can chat for like 15, 20 minutes. I can answer all your questions, but it's so important to get these podcasts out there so that we can connect, um, especially living with adrenal insufficiency, since we all know how rare it is and most of us don't have an opportunity. And this podcast really seems to be making a difference for a lot of people. So I really appreciate you tuning in and listening. And I hope if you haven't yet listened to Candace's episode, she was recently um, in the pickle jar with us. She was episode 105 five and it was titled one rare ailment leads to another and candace has been living with adrenal insufficiency uh, with addison's disease for about 10 years and she has a great perspective on life um she in her episode she gave us some great takeaways about you know how important it is to be you know your own advocate have a strong medical team and more importantly she really brought acknowledgement to the mental health side of it and the reason why she was able to do that is she has a special, she works in the field. She is a master's level psychotherapist. And Candace is going to share with us some today, just, you know, hopefully some management tools for you to, to take away so you can start managing your mental health better because it does have a great impact on, especially when you have Addison's disease, the more stress we are under, it affects our cortisol levels. And we need to have tools to manage our mental health. And there is a big, big, Oh, there's so much that goes on with chronic illness and mental health that we need to acknowledge and we need to talk about. And we're going to start by doing that today with Candace. So Candace, thank you again for joining me today. I greatly appreciate your time once again to join me. Um, Candace is in the United States and you guys know I am in Canada. So this is great that we can connect. So thank you so much, Candace, for joining us today. Thank you, Jill. Thanks for having me again. Um, I think you mentioned on our last podcast, interestingly enough, that when people were diagnosed with Addison's disease, prior to diagnosis, they were being put on psychiatric units. Um, and that's something that was talked about widely in the U.S. that, um, you know, the Addison's disease, adrenal insufficiency because of the severe severe fatigue, depression, severe anxiety, inability to cope with stressful situations that um, actually those who were, who were not diagnosed yet were being put on psychiatric units. So how scary is that for one thing? Um, I, if you've ever had the, you know, experience of working on a psychiatric unit or um, anything like that, you know that it can be a very scary place. So um in my practice, especially, I very much look at um, what is medical and what is mental health and try to differentiate between those two um, because things like that happen. So, um, again, it's great to bring awareness to adrenal insufficiency and the mental health side of it so that um, things like that are not happening. And the scary thing is, thing, um, you know, diagnoses like that are still happening today. So, 
Um, you know, when I was diagnosed, I was being told uh, by doctors that it was depression, that it was anxiety. Um, I worked in a very stressful job because I was a crisis intervention counselor in an emergency room, um, that it was the fact that I worked third shift, that, you know, I had just had a baby, that it was postpartum, that it was all these these mental health things um, that were true to some extent. But, um, you know, when I started to become hospitalized and not able to move and um, able to cope physically uh, is when they started looking at endocrine issues. And so um, for months, I was just given antidepressants and anti-anxieties and told, hey, have have a nice day. Um, so that that's some of the scary stuff that can happen with our diagnosis. Um, and again, I tell everyone for cortisol levels, um, any stress, even good stress is stress to us and it affects our cortisol levels in so many ways. Um, so for me, sometimes that, that does look like extreme anxiety when my cortisol is low. Um, I have to tell parents that I sit with at sporting events. If my daughter hits a home run, I'm going to be a little amped for the next couple minutes until we can get that cortisol back to a normal level. Um, you know, same thing when my son plays basketball, if there's a big play, I I get a little over the top for a minute just because my cortisol is not accounting for that. So, um, you know, panic attacks last longer for me than the average person. Um, but ironically with normal cortisol, we found that I don't have panic attacks, um, after being told for 10 years that I had this horrible anxiety. Well, I do have some anxiety, but that's for our next episode about medical PTSD. (laughs) So, but one of the things that I talk about a lot with my chronic illness patients and process with them is something, you know, I had to process on my own um, because I wasn't aware and do kind of my own research. And so uh, this is really big. And I try to bring this to other people when they're diagnosed. And that's the fact that you have to grieve and mourn. And it's not the grief and mourning of someone who's dead, obviously. It's grieving and mourning your life before this diagnosis and what your life is going to look like after this diagnosis. And this is probably the biggest key to having a chronic illness and being diagnosed because your mindset is everything. And then if what, you, I'm going to say, okay. what are, I just wanted to ask quickly, what are some of the emotions that in your experience that people often experience at the start of being diagnosed with a cro- chronic illness, you know, things that they're not expecting to experience. So a lot of times I see just like the stages of grief, shock and denial. This can't be happening to me. Um, you know, this can't be happening. I'm healthy. I eat healthy. Um, this isn't happening. This is, this is in my head. This is, you know, this, this just isn't happening. And then people ignore it, um, you know, at times and deny it. And then the disease progresses right. and, or, and can get worse exponentially. Um, and so it's really dangerous if you don't get past that kind of frozen shock state and move forward with treatment, whatever you choose that to be. Well, um, it sounds like it's something that if you don't acknowledge it and manage it, it's going, it could p- potentially snowball out of control for you to put it that way kind of thing. And it's just right, right. building on itself and create more anxiety, more stress, more depression. And it's going to be, like you said, 
especially with Addison's disease. And I'm sure all the listeners are listening, shaking their heads. Yes. They know when their cortisol goes low and we are not told this. The majority of us are not told this, how low cortisol affects your anxiety, affects your depression. So it, I always say it amplifies the stressors in my life, right? Like you said, like at a sporting event, it kind of, it adds fuel to that fire. And um, I really wanted in this episode to drive home to our listeners and and you've already done that saying this is real and your low cortisol is more than likely and we're not medical doctors candace and i but Uh we're talking from experience it amplifies it and when we amplify that stress response it's going to drive it down even farther and we're just feeding into the cycle and we have to learn how to acknowledge that grief that you're talking about those emotions that you're going to go through and and learn to manage them right right And I found for me, you know, switching that mindset and accepting that diagnosis, you know, um, made it, you know, if I have a name, I can fight it and I can research it and I know what doctors I I need to go to, or I can ask the questions that I need to ask. So even though it's not a stage of of grief, I think recognizing and getting out of that state of shock can really empower you to kind of move forward. And it's so ask for help to do that. And most of us to do. Absolutely. Some people naturally have, I think the ability to manage stress and to guide themselves but most of us don't and we need to connect with people and we need to have someone say try this try this and I think it's probably important to 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 talk to as many people as you can and find the tools that work for you right right I mean I always tell people your endocrinologist is obviously first with this disease but second of all find a therapist and ask the question do you have experience with chronic illness maybe not personally but do they have experience treating someone with chronic illness Um, I know I treat a lot of of clients that do have chronic illness. And one of the reasons that they came to me is because on our website, we do, you know, I make it very well, very widely known. This is an experience I have because I found in finding my own therapist, I went to two very well-known trauma therapists in our area, because again, and we'll get to this in a different point, um, you know, going through this testing and diagnosis is traumatic. So I thought, cool, I'll get a trauma therapist and that'll be great. And these people are, are, you know, well known and renowned in my area. Um, But when I went to the trauma therapist, what they kept telling me was they couldn't deal with the chronic illness piece. And so that really kind of left me, you know, it left me kind of feeling hopeless in a lot of ways of, I need mental health support to get through this and I'm not finding anyone who is, you know, versed in that, this side of my health. And so interestingly enough, completely by accident, um, my current therapist, cause all therapists have therapists in case you don't know, um, my current therapist, his wife has a rare autoimmune disorder. And so it was by fate of God that I ended up on his list because I wasn't supposed to be and um, that things just worked out that way. But I'll tell you, it's invaluable to be able to talk to somebody who understands what I'm going through daily. And so I tell everyone, like, interview your therapist before you sign up for them. And I hope too that like what you said, how important it is to connect with somebody who understands it. And I think that's why 
again, this podcast is, is so important. And this episode is so important because, um, everyone listening knows that Candace gets it. I get it. You get it. We all get it. And when you know that that person can relate to you on a different emotional level, it just, it's just empowering. And to me, that's one of the first steps in mental health and improving, taking the steps forward and don't expect it to be perfect and find the solution right away. You just got to start taking those steps forward. And I think one of those, it's finding that connection. And if that connection doesn't work, you find another connection. You keep trying until you find what works for you. Right. And remember that these providers work for you. You know, I think a lot of people get scared of their doctors, their therapists, their, yeah. you know, we, we put them on this highest pe- higher pedestal and, you know, bottom line is we are people too. We put our underwear on one leg at a time um, and we bring our own life experiences to the table. So um, the next stage of grief that we talk about is disorder. And with disorder, it's just basically meaning that you limit yourself, you know, that saying that we all love right now, I just can't, like, I just can't right now. Like, I I just can't, you know, I think I say that like 20 times a day about different situations, usually involving my teenager. Um, But we get this mindset of limits and put ourselves in this box of, I just can't do it. And the thing is, no, you're not going to be able to do everything that you did before your diagnosis. I was an athlete. I played tournament softball. I'm not playing tournament softball right now. Because if I get hit with a ball with the way my bones are, with the amount of prednisone I'm on, I'll break a bone. So, you know, that's one of my limits. But really early on in my diagnosis, I kind of put myself in this box and didn't get out of bed because I was so afraid that if I was alone, if I was driving, if I was, you know, playing softball, if I was doing any of these things and I went into adrenal crisis what the hell is going to happen? You know what, you know, so that's, I think the second thing is just don't shut down and say, I just can't, it's just going to look a little different. No, I think that's great. I wrote down while you were talking about that you have new rules, but with those new rules, you might find new joys as well. And I think Mm -hmm. that's a big thing. Yeah. We, we have new rules, but there's a lot of people in this world who have new rules to play with. So let's play by the new rules. And, um, and when you open things up, you might, you might be surprised at what, what you find that you actually can find enjoyment in. Right. So, um, the, the next stage is anger. The why me? Um, I think we all can do that, you know, to some point in every situation that's negative in our lives. Why me? Um, you know, and the, the bottom line is we're not going to get an answer, um, unless the Lord himself comes and sits down and tells us, which I, I don't prophesy it's happening, um, anytime soon, hopefully, um, you know, we're not going to get a reason why me. And so like my rule is, and I talked about this in my last podcast was I get five minutes a day and then I have to be gangster. And so I get five minutes to say, this sucks. Why me? Why today? You know, whatever. Why can't I do this? And then I can't unpack and live there. And, you know, I have really great friends around me who support me in that and say, you know, if it's been an hour of me, you know, saying why me and just being that person, you know, they're like, come on, get up. It's time. Well, you know. And going back to us mentioning at the start about the cortisol, if it, if it, if it's prolonged and this is something I need to learn to do and thank you for the reminder, because I've been through a really 
kind of rough ride the last six weeks mental health wise. And I got in such, I let that cycle get so deep that I was no longer recognizing the medical side of it. And I was stuck in the low cortisol mental health kind of cycle. And as soon as I got my meds right, I pulled right out of it. So, and acknowledging, you know, if it, if you feel like it's going to extreme, why is it going extreme? And probably with, if you have adrenal insufficiency, at least part of the picture, part of the story is going to be cortisol. Right. Right. And so like when you're in those angry and depressive moments, it's so important. It's so important. So important. Set an alarm, take your medication, communicate with your endocrinologist. Hey, my mental health is not good. Should I be updosing? Should I be taking extra B vitamins? Should I be taking extra D vitamins? Um, you know, can you do some blood work and kind of show me where I'm at with that? Um, just so that you're aware and don't end up in that emergency situation. And this is what's important too with your episode that you touched on in episode 105, how important it is to have a medical team that listens to you. And that's part of your steps too. We have to be fighting in a lot of different areas. If you don't have a medical team that's going to listen to you and they say, oh, you know, Addison's disease, it doesn't affect your mental health. Low cortisol, I've never heard that before. Well, tell them to listen to the Pickle Jar podcast. <laughs> and right. Well, I'll tell them mental health and low cortisol go hand in hand. And they might just not know because they don't know. And we need to, we need to push that envelope. We need to poke that bear and we need to keep telling them over and over again. Yes, it is. I've done it. I live it. I really were the specialist here and, and get that acknowledgement out there so that you can get the help that you need. That if you're experiencing low cortisol, maybe it is your meds. And when you make that small adjustment, um, it might improve your quality of life. Right. And for me, it was anxiety attacks when I was on, you know, high levels of prednisone because we deal with the side effects of the steroid that we're on, on top of the side effects of our, of our disease. And so when I was on large quantities of prednisone, I had extreme insomnia and extreme panic attacks. And so getting the mental health side to listen to me of, hey, this is not my norm. I've worked this really, really stressful, hard job and didn't blink an eye at it. But now I spilled my soda and I'm melting down in the corner crying. So just getting people to listen to you and, and for them to recognize, sometimes you are fighting the side effect of the amount of steroid you need to survive. No. And so it's really important that that medical team is working with that mental health team. And um, if they're not working together, that you are being the liaison between the two or that you have an advocate. You know, if I'm really, really sick, I'm lucky enough that I, my mom is, is very involved. And so she can go to that team and say, look, this is where she's at right now. Um, we need to adjust on one side or the other. Well, and, and actually that's a really, I'm really glad you brought up that point too, is having that advocate because I know what I've gone through in the last six weeks. If probably if my, if I even was, I wasn't even able to get myself to the doctor. If he would have saw me crying in front of my washing machine, like I did every day and just did not want to breathe anymore. Um, I wouldn't have been able to communicate. I don't think what I was feeling. I need my advocate to know, to maybe communicate. And, or even if I could, I don't think I could, could have mentally taken in the information he was going to give me. 
I wasn't going to retain it. I wasn't going to remember it. It wasn't going to help me because I need somebody to make the notes and to be there for me so that when I go home, okay, no, this is what he said. No, he said, you're going to be okay. No, don't, you know, or whatever it was to help walk me through it, how important it is to have that advocate and that voice for you too, because especially if it's medically related, it might be really, really challenging for us to, to communicate on our own. Yeah. And my practice clients will tell you, I am like the sticky note text message queen. Like if we're talking about something and I don't think they're getting it right away, I'm like, all right, I'm going to text this to your phone. So you have the link. And or you know, I'm I had a medical appointment and um, my boyfriend went with me and it was really great during the appointment. I didn't know what he was doing, but he was actually listening to the doctor and he was texting me what the doctor was saying. And right. it was great because afterwards I could read through what he was saying. And I'm like, oh, did he say, he's like, no, he said, you're not going to die. I'm like, oh, okay, go great. Okay. He did right. say that. I'm like, and then right. oh, it was really great. That positive stuff. I could read it over and over and over again and remind myself when right. I panic. So, so those are right. great tools too. text things, text stuff to yourself. Right. I text it to myself. And then I have uh, my husband, my two best friends who help care for my kids, my mom, and then even my mom's best friend, who's like a mom to me, because sometimes my mom, God bless her, she's 70. And she's very with it. And she's at the beach right now. Love her. Um, But sometimes she has trouble interpreting things. And she'll get upset. So I have that support person for her on there. That way, if she's misunderstanding something, she can go to her friend who works in the medical field and just, you know, and kind of do that. But having those text messages. And then when I work with clients, they'll tell you, I I have sticky notes galore for them because, or if it's better for them, I text it to them and their support person. Like, here's what Candace is sending me today. And this is what we talked about and where we need to go. And we all Um, function differently and we need to find what tools speak to us and what helps us retain the information and to make progress. Right, right, right. right. And always, um, you know, this isn't one of them, but one of the things I'm going through, but um, I always teach my clients to plan, plan for the worst case scenario, not that we want you to have the worst case scenario, but in the worst case scenario, what is going to happen on everybody's end of things because worst case scenario okay you have a mental breakdown god forbid and you're in that hospital and you're in that crisis situation who are the people that need to be there who are the people that need to advocate for you who are the people or the doctors that need to be consulted because in the united states if you're involuntarily committed your cell phone's taken from you right away and so you don't have a chance to reach out to those to the people that are necessary, that you need to be there. Um, the other thing is they may not think to consult your endocrinologist and, or look at your cortisol level. And then again, you could end up on a mental health unit when that's not where you need to be. So, again, so that's, you know, having a hospital bag, having documents on you. I always say, I've said before in the other podcast, if you want to be taken seriously with this illness, which we all do with our medical team, you need to present serious. And that's going to be, you know what? Yeah. You know what? Unfortunately, there are some worst case scenarios we might have to, so have an action plan. You know what? Here's my action plan and let's, you know, revise this action plan and let's be ready. And that shows you are serious. You know, your stuff and you are, and that, and I think too, like I hear it all the time in the podcast, you know, we want better quality of life people. We want to work. We want to do these things. We want to be 
who we were. And that's how we're going to get the support that we need by showing them like, you know, this is how hard I'm working at it. And I want you to match me on that. And right. most humans do that. Most humans come to the plate and they're going to put their effort where they see the efforts being put as well. Right. Right. That, and this is how I function on, a, on at my best at my baseline. This is how I function. So that if you're presenting below that, someone can speak to, this is not how she normally functions. Yes. I this, do not normally sit in front of my washing machine and cry. Right. <laughs> it's not right. I, I normally do not spend three months terrified <laughs> to get into a vehicle. Yes. Right. <laughs> you know, I was terrified to get into a vehicle. I would literally cry if I had to get in a car, you know, I got a master's degree and moved away for college and have raised two kids. I'm not scared to get in a car. Well, no. And sometimes I find then that heightens what you're going through, right? Cause now you're saying, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? Oh, my, you know right. what now what's wrong with me? And then it creates more stress, more anxiety, as opposed to taking that step back and saying, you know what? Let's, right. Okay. I have an action plan. We've talked about this. You know, we've, you know, we have a plan on what to do in the worst case. And the, you know, this, this is for medically probably it's turning into one of those cases. So, you know what, let's just take a deep breath and let's take a step forward. So after, so you just mentioned that there's, um, there's denial, there's disorder, anger. Um, what kind of comes after anger? Um, guilt and bargaining. So that guilt, if I would have done something different, if I would have done something better, you know, if I do this, maybe this will happen. Um, you know, of course, there's all adjustments we can make in our lives to our diet, to our exercise, to to all these different things. But we have to recognize these diseases are not our fault. Yes. We did not bring them on. We did not ask for them. And sometimes that's really hard. And sometimes that can be a really difficult piece for the people around you. Um, it's easy to get angry at this. It's easy to put blame different places. Um, because as humans, we need to hold somebody or something accountable, but we, you can't continuously go through this guilt and bargaining because it's just going to lead you to a deeper depression. And I think too, something I've heard often on these podcasts, the stories that, um, we brought to you in the pickle jar is, you know, people on diagnosis because it's a rare illness, they've been told, Oh, you just have to take a little steroid pill every day. You'll be fine. And you know, and then that carries a lot of guilt with us when we start thinking, oh, but we're supposed to be fine now. We're eight months into this. We're two years into this. Why am I not fine now? And then you have that guilt that you're doing something wrong. And then you start to feel that, you know, that cycle of chronic illness, you feel like a burden to your family. You feel like, you know, a burden right. to everything because you can't function because you were told just a little pill was going to fix all your problems. <laughs> and right. that, and right. that's not how it goes. Not how it goes. Um, the next thing is distress that you can't eat or you can't sleep. And the thing with these stages, they're all interchangeable. They're not going to happen. You know, you're not going to be able to check off boxes and say, today I'm living in in guilt and bargaining tomorrow's coming to stress. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's fluid. And so distress is, you know, I can't eat, I can't sleep. Um, it's really disrupting that daily functioning. I can't get dressed, you know, and it's just, it leads to that depression or it can be a symptom, a, you know, a bigger symptom of the depression right. um, that they, these things are not happening. So the next one is depression and um, 
But like I said, I think that can that can happen at any point in these stages. But just that really deep, you know, mourning the loss of who you were and what this new life looks like and what these rules look like and the things that you can't do and uh, different things. I know for me, depression hit when I found out I had to go on disability and I couldn't work for the time being. And I've worked my butt off since I was a teenager. So not working for me was was huge. And when I got disability, which anybody who in the U.S. knows, that doesn't come lightly, especially at 35 years old with a master's degree, um, I cried. And my my attorney at the time said, why are you crying? This is a good thing. You know, you'll be able to care for yourself. You'll be able to care for your children. Um, first of all, it's not that much money, so it's not that simple. But second of all, I became profoundly depressed because for me, it felt like it was taking me out of the game, that somebody was saying officially, you're out of the game, you're out of the workforce, and we're going to put you on the bench, and you're going to be there indefinitely. And so for me, it was this like, holy crap, I'm 35 years old, and I'm not working, and I might not work again. And just going back through that shock and denial and then anger and all those things that that kind of prompted, but it led me to a really deep clinical depression. Now, is it safe to say, like you said, like I, the point you just brought up, like, you know, we started talking about being diagnosed and now you're presented. Um, It sounds like every situation we, you know, this was a new situation for you. Now it's disability. And it sounds like then you start the cycle over again. You can go through the cycle with different situations that are going on in your life as well. It's not just one, you know, one umbrella. It's you could have a whole bunch of umbrellas out in the rain and in the thunderstorm going on, then the tornado comes up and then the hurricane hits right. and, then, and then it's the tsunami. And it just kind of, you know, and, and acknowledging that they, they're all affected by each other, but they all have their own special I don't know special is the right word, but they all have their own, you know, call it, I don't know, entities or I don't know. I don't know how even how to address it, right? Ask okay. them, um, yeah. that you have to deal with that are gonna be new emotions. And you're gonna it's not just it's not linear. And like you said, it's fluid. You go through these back and forth and depending on so many factors. Right. Like I have a friend who has Crohn's disease and after a very long um, you know, battle with infertility and using IVF, she's pregnant and she's excited and she's getting ready to deliver. And so she has all that stress that, you know, a normal new mom has, but she stopped me the other day and she said, how am I going to do this with Crohn's disease? What if I'm feeding the baby and I have an episode and have to run to the bathroom? This is not how I pictured this. And so she really had to mourn and grieve the dream of what being a new mom was going to look like and how it might look differently for her, you know, and that, you know, plan for these situations. If I'm in the middle of feeding the baby and a Crohn's flare up happens, you know, I've got to pass the baby to so-and-so or I've got to put them down for a minute and come back to it or heaven forbid, I end up in the hospital. Here's the people that, that can care for the baby or I need to pump ahead of time in case a situation happens. So, you know, even those really good situations that are happening, having a chronic illness just adds a layer to those. Yes, you're right. And, And it's so important to know, you know, we have a rare illness, but there's so many 
so many things out there. Like there's Crohn's, there's like, there's just, when you put us all together, most, most of us have something that we're dealing with. That's not ideal. And, um, we're not alone. We just don't talk about it enough to say that, you know, this person, you know, we think everybody on Facebook and social media are living these perfect lives and we're the only one that have to, you know, have the new rules. And, um, but really I think it's more common than not more common than uncommon. Right. I think one of the positive things that came out of COVID, um, and I know there were a lot of memes about it and people thought, you know, um, I know I had posted some and people thought I was being flippant, but I wasn't. COVID really showed what a day of chronic illness can be like. You're stuck in your house. You can't go to the store. Um, You have to wear a mask around your friends. You have to avoid these different places. You have, you know, all those precautions that we were taking in COVID, it really highlighted a lot of the precautions that and feelings that we go through as someone with chronic illness, that anxiety of not knowing what's going to happen the next day and what it's going to look like, that depression of not being able to work and socialize. So I think that really brought it to the forefront and kind of made people examine a little bit more, you know, what our lives look like with chronic illness and made it a little bit more acceptable for us to talk about um, and kind of embrace the time that we're in. Oh, exactly. But you're exactly right. People all of a sudden being isolated with COVID know that, you know, most people with chronic illness, that's, that's part of our everyday life, or we have expectations of something and we can't follow through with them. And we're stuck at home all the time. And it's a repeated process over and over again. Um, So after depression, um, I think you said there were seven, seven. So so I like this one because um, it's actually nine, which I thought broke it down a little bit better than your traditional seven. So the next one is loneliness. And I think we look at this from so many different angles at chronic illness. One, we feel lonely and isolated because we have this illness and typically our friends our age don't. And so, you know, it's, weird or different for me to be in medical menopause at 29 years old or 18 years old when I was, or for me to have a hysterectomy at 30, um, you know, those things and are not things that we're talking about, um, you know, and it becomes very lonely and makes you very isolated. You know, I joke, I have a really great group of friends, but you will lose friends in this process or, you know, people you thought were your friends. You know, I always tell my friends, you know, sometimes it's not fun to hang out with the sick girl. Um, If all your friends are drinking and partying and they're just at that stage and you can't drink on these medications a lot of the time, you know, you get to be the DD, which is a role I take on a lot, or those friends just don't call you to go out anymore. And so it's, it can lead to a lot of depression and a lot of loneliness and isolation, you know, especially with social media. I think social media magnifies that so much because, you know, six of your best friends go out for wine night or margaritas and you weren't invited and then something's posted. Well, then you're in that depression or that isolation or that anxiety or that wonder, wondering why. And that's exactly what I've gone through in the last six weeks. Like I always say, like people always say, oh, you have so many friends. I'm like, but I'm the person with so many friends, but nobody wants to spend time with. Right. 
right? Because right. of my situation, people avoid us people, you know, and it really heightens the loneliness and it's, and it's really frustrating and it, and it just adds fuel to, to everything else that you're going through. Right. And you do everything different. You mom different when you have these diseases. So you're not always hanging out with the minivan mom click. Um, you know, sports moms, I love my sports moms and I'm very upfront and honest with them about my disease because I want them to know one for my safety when I'm at a tournament, but two, so that they can a little bit understand why I react the way that I react in certain situations. Um, and most of them are understanding about that, but other ones, you know, might not let their kid come spend the night at my house unless my husband's here because I could get sick and that's fine. Like I, you know, we're all looking out for the safety of our kids, but it can be very lonely. And then who at, in their 30s and 35 and 40 years old is sitting in a doctor's office, you know, once, twice, three times a week, getting lab work once, twice, three times a week. These are just things that, you know, they feel really lonely when you're going through them. And and I have an incredible support system, but there are days where it's like, it's me and my dog. Yeah. And, you know, like, well, and I think if you can look at it, like you said, you you, you lose friends. That is a natural kind of something that's more than likely going to happen when you have a chronic illness. You're going to lose friends. You you might even lose family, and some might be for a good reason. Right. <laughs> some might need to go. Um, but if you can look at it, um, you know, we've said before, you know, your circle gets tighter, but yeah. it also gets brighter. So if you look at it that way, the people that stay, it might be a tighter circle of people in your life. Um, and it might on, you know, one perspective you have it. Yes, it is. It is lonely. It can be very lonely at times and you have fewer friends and you've seen that change, but the ones that are left are the really bright ones. They're, the, they're right. the ones that are your shining light. So they're the ones that they're in for the long haul, no matter what. And those, those are the ones you want. Those are the right. ones you really want. Right. So, right. Um, right. So after loneliness, what is um, number eight? Withdrawal. Withdrawal. And I think we all do this to some point when we get these diagnoses. One, we don't know how to deal with them. So how do we explain them to other people, right? And so it's, you know, on top of the fatigue, because anybody with an endocrine issue knows the fatigue is a different kind of tired. It's not just I'm tired. It is a tired that you feel in your bones and you feel in your soul. And it is, it's, it's not a, I can take a nap and feel better later type of tired. And so, you know, for that medical reason, oftentimes we withdraw from social and professional situations, but then there's also the mental side of it of I'm tired of explaining my illness to people. I'm not sure how to explain my illness to people. I don't have the mental capacity to deal with it. You know, what if a crisis occurs while I'm in public? What if something happens while I'm in public? What if I get sick and start throwing up? You know, all these things that will that will make your brain talk you into just sitting it out and, you know, not going to that event, not going to that birthday party, you know? Even going to the doctors, I, you know, I can't take one more diagnosis. I can't take one more pill. It's that kind of that disorder and that withdrawal paired together. I just can't do one more thing today. So I'm going to withdraw from that. And so like, I'm the type of person that if I have a client that I know has chronic illness, you know, like I do, I'm checking in the day or two before their appointment, like, Hey, 
do you need to do virtual? Hey, how are you feeling? Hey, like, don't give this up just because, you know, you're feeling some type of way this week. Let's talk through it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, not everybody has a therapist that does that. But if you can just have a friend that does that, you know, that's that's key. You know, I had a friend recently text me, um, you know, I'm going through some depression. Can you just text me once a day and see yeah. where I'm at? Absolutely. Of course, I'll do that. I would rather her ask me to do that than her just not show up for things. Yeah you know, and me not know why. And that's so. why you need that tight and bright circle. Cause you're one of the, the brighter lights in her life and you know how important it yeah. is. And you're going to respond and you're going to listen and you're going to acknowledge and you're empowering her to take care of herself and to, to move forward with it. Right. So yeah. Great. And so the last, the last one is acceptance and just accepting, Hey, I have this, you know, my mom told me a couple months ago, you just need to make friends with these diagnoses because you're going to have them for the rest of your life. Um, and so just accepting that you have it and that you can change it and that you can set your mindset to change it and to be the best that you can be. And so that takes work. It's not an everything day thing. And then do you find, like, I found like, um, as most of our listeners probably know, my first husband passed away like 23 years ago. And I had a really hard time with the word acceptance at that time. Cause people say, well, you just have to accept it and move on. And I'm like, but to, to me at that time, it was like the word accept meant like, as if I was okay with it and I wasn't right. okay with it. And that's not right. what accept means. Accept doesn't mean that it's okay. And you're, you're, you know, you're okay that he passed away and I'm, I'm happy. I have a chronic illness. No, that's not what it means. It's just saying, you know, I have it. So, and that's why I really like the words. Um, I think it was move forward, not move on. I didn't like the words moving on because moving on means that I've completely accepted it or moving forward means, okay, I got this. I got the grief. I got the illness, whatever it is. I'm putting it on in my backpack and I'm moving on with my life. It's just always going to be there and I'm going to deal with it. Right. I like acknowledge. I like the word acknowledge. Like I acknowledge I have this. I acknowledge I have depression. I acknowledge I have anxiety. I acknowledge I have Addison's disease. That's what I have. That's not who I am. And so, you know, and I can't sit here and say that the past year or six months or 10 years has been rainbows and unicorns and, you know, sparkly farts. Like this has taken work. And it continues to take work. And it's an everyday choice. You know, it's it's a choice to say, I have five minutes and I'm I'm moving on. It's it's a choice to say, you know, I'm going to engage my friends today. It's a very conscious choice. And are there days where I'm like, this sucks, I'm not doing it? Absolutely you know no and i think you're right it's 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 acknowledging that knowing that it is a choice and that some days you might not be able to move forward you might not be able to get out of bed and that's okay because i think we all put a lot of pressure on our shoulders that that we've done something wrong and it's learning to accept ourselves to acknowledge ourselves as we are and learning from each experience and i think that's a big step in mental health and um a great thing that you've acknowledged today by sharing with us those nine steps of grief with a chronic illness that, um, you know, it is fluid, it is a journey and, but it is something that you can work through. If you take some tools, you take it one day at a time, you put an action plan into place, um, open up communication as best as you can with your advocates. Um, 
and just know it's not your fault and and you and you can move forward with it with the right support system right now is there anything anything else that you can think that you could add for us for today I've made a whole bunch so of I feel like <laughs> I feel like the next level of this and the part that I'm working on now is just setting boundaries yes. and setting you know again like you said resting for us is being productive yes because if we don't rest we're out of spoons and we can't get more of them um you know it's not as simple as drinking an energy drink for us yes. so it took me a long time to just accept that resting for me is productive Mm -hmm. and that it's okay. Like it's, you know, yesterday my daughter was sick. So we laid in bed and watched movies for the day and I didn't do a damn thing. Um, you know, but that was okay. One, because I was afraid I was going to catch whatever she had. So I figured I needed to rest anyway. But two, just say acknowledging to myself, like, hey, this is not a wasted day. I am not unproductive because I need to do this for me today. So I think that's a big thing. And just setting those boundaries. I am a yes person. You know that, Jill. I will do all the things all the time. But with a chronic illness, you can't do that. Your time is worth more than gold. So just finding the courage in yourself to say, no, I can't do some of this sometimes. No, exactly. We all want to have the best quality of life we, we can. And it's a 360 approach. We have to look at everything. We have to have those boundaries. And like we've already said, we're not the only people in this world that have to have boundaries. I think some people who naturally thrive at life naturally have boundaries and can say no to people. It's it's us, which a lot of people, we say yes to everything. We don't have boundaries. We create a lot of anxiety. We create a lot of emotions. And then for us with adrenal insufficiency, I always say this is the illness that even when you're winning, you're going to lose. So even if I'm living a good life and I'm happy and I'm doing all the things and accomplishing my goals, eventually... <laughs> I'm going to get on that low cortisol roller coaster and I'm going to have to pay for it. So um, we have to have those boundaries and it really comes from, I think personally from trial and error and mm-hmm. right. Learning and life right. is, and life is always evolving. Like we said, we get new situations, we age, we have new different experiences. So the tools that we used once might not be effective for us anymore. And we always have to be exploring and talking about it because you never know who might have a tool for you like Candace has for today for you um, to deal with your mental health and to improve your quality of life on your own. And once you get that empowerment going, I find it just kind of, it ignites on its own. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. I think that's uh, all the cover today. Okay. That's my boundary. I'm tired. It's two, it's three o'clock here. Oh, you know what? We're all going through low cortisol now. It's that low cortisol dip. My blood sugar usually dips in the afternoon and I kind of right. go see the squirrels come out and the gremlins and everybody starts to be a little wacky in my brain. My so- daughter will be home in an hour. I'm like, oh, I got to mentally prepare for that tornado. <laughs> I was driving with my daughter the other day and she's like, what did she say? She goes, um, she goes, mom, you're not feeling well, are you? I'm like, no, I'm not. She's like, you have like your, she called them my eagle eyes. She's like, you have eagle eyes. You start to stare. And then she told me the other week, I'm like an entity. She goes, when my cortisol goes low, she's like, it's like you're a ghost. You kind of exist 
and you just kind of float through the house but nobody we're not too sure if you really exist or or if we can talk to you or <laughs> oh gosh but I think this has been great Candace because like we said at the start it's not acknowledged enough and I think for one thing it's lack of education and we need to be um, we need to talk about even if you don't have Addison's disease and you have a chronic illness, there's probably a really good chance that you heard a lot of parallels in this. Um, people with adrenal insufficiency, we have that extra that extra hurdle of stress affects our cortisol levels, which amplifies the anxiety, the depression, all those emotions, um, the anger, the guilt, the loneliness, the then we withdraw. And it just kind of cycles back and forth. So we need to don't expect perfection. That's what I took out of today. Don't expect perfection. It's fluid. It's going to change. Your circle is going to get tighter, but remember it's going to get brighter and the mess you can change your perspective. Yeah. Like Candace said, we have new rules to live by and a lot of us do, and we need to acknowledge that. And, um, and hopefully you can find new joys from that new things that you, things that maybe you never even thought you could experience. I personally, I lost friends. I lost family. I lost some family that I'm glad I lost. <laughs> um, but I also have found a wonderful community through this podcast and through connecting through social media. And, and it's brightened my life so much that it's kind of to the point where, you know, I'll say it, I'm kind of, you know, I'm glad I have Addison's disease. I have learned so much. There are days where it's, it's nasty and it, it's not pretty, but and it, but it's really taught me a lot about life and it has brought a lot of new joys into my life. And Candace, you are most certainly one of them. And I really, oh, really thank you. Thank you so much. And I hope <laughs> our listeners, and I'm sure they did have taken away some very valuable tools um, today. And I just hope you take, just take away a couple things, start making those steps, find what works for you. If you don't have a therapist, explore finding a therapist. If you don't have a medical, you have to decide where you are, what stage you are at. Um, you know, if you don't have a good medical team, that might be where you have to start and you would need to start taking those little teeny tiny steps. And we're going to have, um, Candace back here in the pickle jar. And we're going to talk a little bit more about white coat syndrome on an episode and more, more about the post-traumatic stress disorder that comes along with chronic illness too. And again, and it's so, so important to acknowledge that. So, cause I think when we acknowledge it, then we can move forward and we can really make a difference in improving our quality of life. And that's what we all want. So um, so Candace, thank you again for joining me. You're I, welcome. Thanks for having me. And again, if you're interested in being a guest here in the pickle jar, please uh, send me a message at the pickle jar at rogers.com. I want to hear from you and I'm going to put the link for my website in the show notes. Cause you can actually go in there and you can book a little time um, and we can chat via zoom and I can fill you in on all the details on how easy it is to be in the pickle jar. So thank you again, Candace. And thank you. Thanks. And thank you again to our listeners for tuning in. I so appreciate it. And until next time, please be well, my pickles. Oh, oh. Oh, ah. yeah.